You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On to get podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, and fantasy sports. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Hit us up on Instagram at Locked On Hornets. I'm Doug Branson. I cover the team for FanRagSports.com on this Friday. Not a fun Friday. No, sir. No, ma'am. Not after that loss that we're going to talk about here in just a few moments to the 21 and 45 Brooklyn Nets. The Hornets fall 125 to 111. That's the final score. It's also not a fun Friday because I don't have my co host David here for this episode, but that's okay. We're still going to have a good time. We're going to talk about the Hornets. We'll recap this game. I'll give you an update on how Malik Monk played. He's getting some extra time because Michael Carter Williams still out from that sprained shoulder. No official word yet on whether he will elect to have surgery or or try to rehab that and get back before the end of the season. A season that has slowly, I mean, the wheels are coming off. And let's just say that, just right off the jump. But I do want to have a little fun. I want to give away a bobblehead, a Steve Smith bobblehead. You can get your hands on one of these on Saturday afternoon, 5 p.m. tip, First 7,500 fans get a Steve Smith commemorative bobblehead, and we gave away one of these to one of our Patreon members. That member is Jason. Congrats, Jason. J-Dog, J-Money, J-Cash, winning the Steve Smith bobblehead. He's been a longtime listener, longtime Patreon subscriber, so congrats to Jason. If you want to support this show, support great local journalism, support Hornets coverage, daily Hornets coverage, you can visit patreon.com forward slash L-O-H. Sign up for as little as $1 a month, and that money goes directly to help make these episodes, make this Hornets talk that you've come to know and love. And if you're just listening, welcome in. This is a fun show. We try to have a little fun. It's tough when the Hornets put the kind of effort out that uh, that they put out on this night. I do have Clifford's postgame comments coming up as well. He was about as honest and as raw as we've heard him in a very long time. And it's getting to that point in the season where everyone gets a little bit more honest about the state of things and, and you know, where this team has been and where it is heading. But let's talk about what happened uh, on Thursday night. The Hornets came out a little sloppy on both ends, struggling to create good looks on offense, come up with loose balls and rebounds defensively. They started to find a little bit in the groove. They started to find a groove in the second quarter. A lot of that had to do with the bench. But Alan Crabb, he also got into a groove. He finished this game 29 points, 11 of 21 from the field. He was a non-factor in that first game out of the All-Star break against the Brooklyn Nets that the Hornets took easily, but he was 6 of 11. He started 6 of 6 from beyond the arc, finished the finished the game 6 of 11, but 29 points. Karis LeVert also 20-plus point performance from him off the bench, 8 of 15 from the field. This was all about defense. Hornets were listless. They were lethargic. They were lackadaisical on defense to start the half. 
And that's your, that was your, those are your veterans. Those are your team leaders. It was actually Jeremy Lamb who entered the game and tried to psych everyone up, tried to get everyone into the game. Nothing, nothing really against Jeremy Lamb when I say this, but that's unexpected. That's not the guy that you expect to have to lean on for your energy and your intensity. It should be your team leaders, your Kimball Walkers, your Dwight Howards, your Michael Kidd Gilchristes. But they were MIA, the defense, the energy, the intensity, MIA. Here's Steve Clifford after the game describing their preparation for the game, lack thereof, and what they have left to play for. Let's take a listen. Uh, you know, it's an unacceptable, I mean, really, we've played two totally unacceptable games in terms of intensity, toughness, and energy, uh, games that we needed to have. And nobody, nobody has had, you know, more to do with putting this team together, nor obviously coaching it. I'm in charge of, uh, you know, one, almost every one of these guys is here, at least in some part, because of me. And I'm responsible for getting them ready to play, and it's not happening, you know. And that's two day games in a row, uh, so it starts with me. And I just told them that doesn't absolve players. How you handle success, how you handle disappointment, frustration in your life is everything. It is, it is, and we're not doing that well right now. Um, when you're pro athlete, pro player, you have many things, aspects about your life that are great. Okay. Uh, but we owe it to each other, to the organization, to Michael, uh, and to our fans that we don't play like that. We don't play like that. I don't think we will. I think we have good guys. Uh, they're disappointed this thing has gotten away from us. But, uh, you know, that's basically how I feel right now. All right, so you heard a couple of things there. You heard Steve Clifford once again taking blame, taking responsibility, an extra level of responsibility that I that I that I haven't heard as much from him because he, he always talks about it's his responsibility to get the players ready to play. And so when they come out like they did in the first half, then he puts that responsibility on himself. The extra level that I heard in his comments tonight was that he was essentially somewhat partly responsible for bringing a lot of these players in. Now we've seen the guy who was directly responsible or, or at least his title says that he was directly responsible for bringing these players in rich Cho. He's gone. But at the same time, you know, a lot of these players that they brought in Marvin Williams resigned Nick Batum. They went out and got him in a trade and then resigned him as well to big money. These are players that fit the personality that Steve Clifford looks for in a basketball player, the mentality that Steve Clifford looks for in a basketball player, things like team play, things like sharing the basketball, things like getting back on defense. They show the leadership in the locker room. It's not a me mentality. It's a sharing mentality. So he's saying, look, I, I'm responsible for bringing these players in. So when they perform like this, it goes double. 
on to Steve Clifford. So once again, taking that responsibility, but also saying, look, the onus is on the players too. This is what we always say when Clifford tries to put that responsibility onto himself. The players have to go out and play. It's their responsibility to find a reason to play every single game, to find that competitive fire. They're owned by one of the most competitive basketball players in the history of the game. They have to play all 82 games. You're at Clifford. They owe it to the organization. They owe it to the owner of the team. They owe it to the coach. He didn't say that. I'll say it. I think they owe it to Steve Clifford. They certainly owe it to the fans who pay money and watch this team on television. But they also owe it to themselves. I mean, there has to be a sense of personal pride that doesn't allow you to come out and lose to the Brooklyn Nets, who are 21-45. and 45. To give up 51.1% shooting to the Nets, the second or third straight game that, that the opposing team has shot over 50%. And the second or third straight game that they've played well offensively. It's not, it's not even a case of this team completely breaking down on both ends of the floor. They've been able to find enough effectiveness, enough energy to play on the offensive end. But you're seeing defensive breakdown after defensive breakdown, lapse after lapse, drive after drive go uncontested. 13 fast break points for the Brooklyn Nets, zero for the Charlotte Hornets. That was part of the difference in this game. 58 points in the paint for the Brooklyn Nets as well. Because it was guys like Karis LeVert, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was 7 of 13 from the field, only attempted one three-point shot. Alan Crabb, he did a lot of his work from outside, but he got a couple of looks inside as well. Drive after drive, going uncontested. And, look, it's, it's not as if they have zero to play for. I understand that the playoffs may be a a little bit of a pipe dream at this point, but you feel like the players would recognize, just like we all have recognized, that this core is is signed through next year. Now, things could certainly change in the offseason, and if they continue to play this way, I'm sure they will. But at the same time, This core could prove that, hey, we we were put together for a reason, can come together, can win basketball games, and can make something happen in Charlotte. Or it could all completely break down, possibly call Steve, cost Steve Clifford his job. And help make the case to the ownership and to whoever they bring in for that front office piece that it might be time to hit the reset button on the Charlotte Hornets. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about Malik Monk. How did he do second straight night playing big minutes off the bench? Had a couple of big assists, a couple of big scores. We'll talk about that. Plus, a random thought about Cody Zeller. You want to hear this. You're listening to Locked On Hornets on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. He is obsessed with Kawhi Leonard. He is obsessed He's with obsessed bringing with winning an all star to Charlotte. And he's lying. He's not telling the truth. He's lying. He's lying through his teeth. <laughs> you can't believe him. <laughs> Get more Hornets analysis on lockedonhornets.com. Quick random thought. We talk a lot about Cody Zeller being a great screener. But I don't think we talk a ton about him, about how and why he's a great screener. He got busted a few times for some illegal screens. Got a technical called on him for an elbow to the head. And he's a physical screener. I'm not going to use the word dirty. He, I don't think he's a dirty player. But he might be a dirty screener. He gets some elbows, he holds some arms, but we don't talk about him like that. It's interesting because there are other guys like Draymond Green, like Robin Lopez, like Steven Adams for Oklahoma City. Those guys are regarded as both good screeners. Al Horford's a little bit like this in a sneaky way, like good screeners, but also guys that people know like when they run into these guys, they're going to catch a little bit more of the wrist they're going to catch a little bit more of the elbow. They're going to catch a little bit more of the, of you know, they might get their jersey held a little bit. Sort of the same thing like in the NFL, what happens in the pile. You know, a hand might end up inside a guy's face mask. It just sort of ended up there. By, you know, it was a total accident. But it wasn't an accident. You know, that kind of, again, is it dirty play or is it just competitive play and you hope you get away with it not trying to hurt anyone that see that's what dirty play is to me like legitimately trying to go out there and hurt someone in a careless manner as opposed to doing some going a little above and beyond in a competitive way but we don't talk again we don't talk we we talk about cody zeller and his screen assist and we talk about him being a great screener we just don't talk about him in that same way i think that's very interesting Fourth quarter, more of the same. Decent offense, terrible defense. Kimball led a mini run that cut the lead to single digits, but they simply could not stop the Nets from driving to the rim, and they lose this one. 125-111. They play again on Saturday, 5 o'clock p.m. Steve Smith, commemorative bobblehead night afternoon, early tip against the Phoenix Suns. Another bad team. Got a cupcake schedule the rest of the way, which could mean you could look at that two ways, right? You could look at the rest of the schedule for the Charlotte Hornets and say, well, if you're if you're extremely optimistic, you could say, perhaps, perhaps, if Miami, Milwaukee, Detroit all start to suffer at once, maybe the Hornets pull something out of the hat. You could also look at it like this. The schedule is so weak that if they continue to play like this, and continue, that's the thing. The Charlotte Hornets don't have enough talent to beat the Brooklyn Nets and also not give a damn. Like, those two things can't happen simultaneously. Those are mutually exclusive things. Not giving a damn and beating even the Brooklyn Nets, even the Phoenix Suns, even the Dallas Mavericks, even the Atlanta Hawks. 
Listen to this quote from Alan Crabb of the Brooklyn Nets. This was on, because the Nets, you, if you remember from the preview that we did yesterday, the Nets were on a four-game losing streak. The Nets were on a 10-game road losing streak. And here's Alan Crabb after the game. We just knew it was a big game. Last one of the road trip, but I think guys are tired of losing. Losing isn't fun, and it's frustrating. So I think we locked in on what we needed to tonight. We took away their key players. We took away what they do great, and we limited them from having big nights. I think we just did a good job at locking in on what we needed to today, offensively and defensively. Young team, tired of losing, keyed in on the other team. Here's Cody Zeller after the game on what the Nets did well offensively. This is what Zeller said. I think we just made it too easy on them. It's a team that can really score. They have a lot of guards that can put up points. You saw Crab get hot, so we just made it too easy for them. Careless turnovers, defensive mistakes, it's just something we have to come up with. And he finally says, obviously there are not many games left in the season. The distance between us and eighth place is getting further away. So we still have to be professional about it. We still have to play hard. We have to execute the game plan. A lot of the stuff we covered this morning, we didn't execute tonight. So that's something we have to do going forward. I've heard this a lot this season about this team. They go over stuff in the morning. They don't do it at night. And on the other hand, you have the Nets saying, we're tired of losing. We're a young team. But we took away... They, the focus was on what they could do to take away what the other team did well. The Hornets' focus tonight was on what they could do well offensively and the, the minimal possible effort on defense. All right, short break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Malik Monk getting some extra playing time. He played well for stretches. We'll chat on him when we come back. You're listening to Locked On Hornets on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. Think about that. If they won 15 games, if they win 15-0, they'd be a lot better. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Breaking news. Yeah. Breaking news. Pull that sound bite. You know I wasn't about to try to do some math. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Backup point guard Michael Carter-Williams still out. Malik Monk, rookie, getting the nod at backup point guard. Got 21 minutes a night after getting 15 minutes. So he's getting some run, getting some more burn. He goes 6 of 14 in this one, 13 points. One of six from beyond the arc. Interestingly, he was one of six in the previous game as well against Philadelphia. So still struggling to shoot from behind the three-point line. That's unexpected. Didn't expect him to struggle in that area, but he really has this season. But he did accumulate five assists, three rebounds. First half, he helped spearhead a Hornets run to begin the second quarter that resulted in a 13-point turnaround did have one weird pull-up three too early in the shot clock, but other than that, made some really good offensive decisions, I thought. He finished that first stretch with four points, three assists, and two rebounds, so you could see him getting others involved, feeling comfortable within the offense. We've heard Steve Clifford talk about simplifying the offense for him, letting him 
you know, go off of one pick and then sort of just read the defense and make a play for someone else or use his quickness to get inside. He made good passes, used that quickness to move the defense early. And while I'm not totally sold on a Kimball Walker-Malik Monk backcourt combo because of defense, because of size reasons, they did experiment with it and they created some space for Jeremy Lamb to drive and score. Second half, Malik Monk found a rhythm and a quick trigger, scoring five quick points to bring the deficit down to 11 as the seconds wound down on the third quarter. He took that crossover dribble pull-up that hasn't gone down this year. It feels like a move that he works on. Feels like something that maybe he got a few times or maybe more than a few times at Kentucky or in high school. He just looks comfortable doing it. He looks for it as a move. But honestly, it's just going to be a bad shot until it isn't, if it ever isn't. It's not a great look right now as a rookie. It just comes off as selfish. It comes off as not the best shot opportunity. This was a game where he did, he made plays for others. He got himself a few good open shot opportunities. And then there were a few opportunities that he tried to force, especially late in the game that would just discourage you if you, if you were continuing to keep a close eye on his on his development from a basketball perspective from a fan perspective you just want to see the guy play right you just want to see the guy get some minutes Let me look at my twitter mentions here because we always get some why is yeah here's peter why has malik been on the bench all year hashtag free malik Chase here saying broadcasters talk a lot about Malik. Cameras seem to be on Malik a lot. Crowd goes nuts when he enters, and even more so when he scores. Why could he not be playing more during the season? Well, because he hasn't been playing defense very well. And there were stretches where I don't think Brooklyn really picked on him in this game. Let's say that. I mean, they didn't they didn't really key in on him, especially in the first half, but in the second half, Karis Levert who is you know, bigger, stronger, longer than Malik Monk by a mile, was able to get by him on a few drives easily. It was just, there was a lot of one-on-one stuff between the Nets and the Hornets tonight, and Malik Monk won a few battles and he lost a few battles. But generally, he hasn't been playing well because he, I, I mean, I think it's clear from Clifford's comments the past couple of games is that he wasn't making the the right passes to set up the offense, and he's been forced to play point guard. And he has struggled to understand the finer points of NBA defense. And he, just because of his size, is going to naturally struggle on defense anyway. And, as we've noted, he's not been hitting hitting his outside shot. So you, you combine all of those things, and yes, I agree with Chase. I've been there. I've been, I've been to the arena. I know that when he enters the game, the, crowds go, the crowd goes wild. That's what happens in North Carolina when you're a famous college basketball player. Like, it's easy. It's easy to get excited about Malik Monk. And when you see the quickness, when you see the athleticism, all you see is the future. It's easy to get excited about the future. It's harder to understand what you need in the present. And I think that's where... Steve Clifford's perspective is like what what did this team several months ago need to succeed in the present that's why Malik Monk wasn't playing 
But at the same time, they were saying, and they still continue to say, that they feel like Malik Monk can be a good player in the future. They see the future. They see the, and I'm sure they see it in practice as well. They see the athleticism. They see the quickness. They see the tool set that could allow Malik Monk to be a very impactful player in the near future. But there is still a lot of development to go. He is 19 years old. And it's very apparent. I mean, it's very apparent that he still has a long way to go. And so much of it is going to depend on how much he dedicates himself to improving his NBA game, especially early in his career. So we'll have to see. But that, to me, Chase, that's why he wasn't playing early in the season, because they were focused on making the playoffs, and Malik Monk would have legitimately, I think, lost them several games if he had played big minutes. And I think they knew that, and I think that's why he didn't play. But now that they're out of the play, now that they're pretty much out of the playoff race, not mathematically, but realistically, I think you're going to see a lot more of Malik Monk. I think he'll get some more experience. And just like in this game, this game was full of great Malik Monk moments and some moments that left you scratching your head. Some plays that were offensively uh, selfish. Some plays that were offensively not the right move. And then on the defensive end, he bid on a Joe Harris pump fake pretty egregiously. Reminds you a lot of Jeremy Lamb and that game that he had in against Chicago last year where he bid on like two straight Dwayne Wade pump fakes. Lavert also got a blow by on him that led to an easy basket. So there are these moments where you go, okay, there's still there's still things that have to that have to be ironed out. And it's really, I don't necessarily know if it's it's more game time that's going to fix those things. I think those things are going to have to be ironed out over the course of an offseason, over the course of multiple offseasons. But then again, you you look at uh, fourth quarter, he draws the defense, throws the nice wraparound pass back to Zeller for a dunk, his fifth assist on the night. And you see the potential, full of potential. You see the future. I grant everyone that. And I think you're going to see a, a lot more Malik Monk moving forward, and hopefully he uses that opportunity. But I, I think, too, like, if you're Malik Monk, you have to be focused on on getting others involved on that second unit. on get, on, on pro- If Clifford does remain with the team next year, you've got to prove to the man that, that you – are an unselfish basketball player because that's what they've generally rewarded here in Charlotte. They've rewarded unselfish play. Unless you're Kimball Walker and the best player on the team, th- then you 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 get the you get the run. You get the green light. But other than that, they've really, they've really Steve Clifford has praised those that give effort on defense and are unselfish on offense. And Clifford said, the, or I think it was Monk that said, after the Philadelphia game, that they asked Monk what Clifford and, 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 and Monk had discussed. And one of the things that Monk said was, Clifford told him, 
get Jeremy Lamb and Frank Kaminsky involved on offense as much as you can. Now, why did he tell him that? Well, because Lamb and Kaminsky have been the most consistent threats offensively on this bench that the team has had. So you get those guys involved. You keep those guys happy. You keep those guys consistent. You keep those guys in a rhythm. And I think he was more successful doing that against Philadelphia than he was in this game. But to be fair, Frank Kaminsky goes 0 for 5 in this game, 0 points. So when he does get those opportunities, he has to make. He looked a little out of control in this game. Jeremy Lamb, on the other hand, 7 of 14, 15 points. He had a fine game. 0 of 3 from beyond the arc. Lamb seems to be struggling a little bit with his shot. That's kind of gone in and out. Frank Kaminsky's offense has gone in and out. Consistency has been an issue for the Charlotte Hornets all season long. That's all the time we have for this edition of Locked on Hornets. Again, sorry, it wasn't a fun Friday. It wasn't as fun as it usually is. But we'll get back to uh, having some fun next week. We're going to have Rick Bennell on Monday. We've got a lot planned. Might even start some draft talk. We're going to change things up starting next week. We're going to bring some more guests in. We're going to talk some more NBA. We'll, of course, dig into what this team is doing right now and what they could be doing in the future. We'll, we'll, we'll swing a little bit of draft talk in a little earlier than we did last season. So a lot of cool things ahead for this show. Stick around. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're telling people about us. We're having a good time here on Locked on Hornets. Thank you so much for listening. Congrats to Jason again for winning the bobblehead. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.